Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! It's the Ranger Command Power Hour! Hey listeners, before we get the show started, I wanted to remind everyone that this episode is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more about supporting Ranger Command Power Hour. Thanks to our $5 and above patrons, Chris P, Steve F, Doug F, AJW, Tyler W, Tyler B, Tyler D, Eric D, Jacob P, Steve M, Liz M, Craig M, Callum M, Mason M, Hassan A, Bo H, Raheem Y, Derek G, and Teresa B for supporting us this month. Thank you again. Today on the Power Hour, episode 170, Ranger Command interview Ryan Parrott and the beginning of Unlimited Power, recorded on November 2nd, 2020. Welcome to the Ranger Command Power Hour on the Four Eyed Radio Network. Send a Ranger up with your host. I'm Eric, also known as Trekkie B47. Once again, we are welcoming back Ryan Parrott to the show. He's best known in Ranger Nation as the writer for all of the Power Ranger comics going on right now, specifically the new launch for Mighty Morphin 1 and Power Rangers number one. Welcome back to Ranger Command Power Hour. Thanks, man. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So two huge issues. We're actually releasing this episode uh, after Power Rangers 1 comes out. So we can talk all about all of these. So (laughs) a lot of stuff going on, Ryan. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. I know. (laughs) With 30 pages, I got got a little more time. Nice. Exactly. So let's just start with Mighty Morphin number one. This starts out with a flashback from Zordon. And the last time that we saw Zordon's past was actually in Go-Go Power Rangers 18. At that point, we had seen where he was already a sage of Eltar, consulting King Lexian on Edenoi, and that was during the Alpha One arc. So in this issue, we see him, I think, at an earlier point in his career, I guess, as a as a warrior. And he's fighting with two characters named uh, Zofram and Zartus. So how much of Zordon's past have you been able to map out? And why is now the time to delve into his past? It's funny you asked that today of all day. It's just because I literally was having a call about a half an hour ago about this. Uh, so very fun. Um, yeah, like I've got it mapped out pretty, pretty, I thought I had it mapped out pretty well. But uh, yeah, I, I just felt like, um, like you said, like the last time we saw him with Rita and uh, Fianna and all, and sort of like the early days of Rita, and that was sort of Rita's story. Like he was sort of like a side character in that. And I just thought, you know, if we're going to get it, we're doing a Mighty Morphin number one. It yeah. just felt like, I want to dig into the stuff that I've always been curious about. Like, I remember the first time when I saw, uh, like, you know, the, the giant floating head in the first episode, and I was like, with like, Zodon of Eltar, and I was like, what's an Eltar? And, like, I didn't even know <laughs> So I And I, I've said this a few times, but I just think it's funny. It's like, I, I remember having all these questions, and I didn't realize that I was literally going to be, t- the only person who was going to answer them was me 25 years later, which is kind of crazy. Like, that's a very cool, mind-blowing moment. But I just felt like, I wanted to see what Zordon was like when he was the same age, in essence, right. as the Power Rangers. What was he like when he didn't know what he was going to do, when he didn't know where his life was going to go, um, when he had uh, arms and legs? You know, like this idea yeah. of like, 
like him before he was wise, I think is so interesting. And and I think what's so great about doing the flashbacks is you can actually show you can show this interesting contrast between where the where the Power Rangers are now and where he was then, and they can learn the same lessons and make the same make be faced with the same choices and make different decisions. You can see which way they go. So I thought that was really fun. And I just felt like, you know, like that's something we, that's one of the things about the comic books that are so helpful. And I think it's what people come to the comics for is they love these characters. They want to spend time with them. So let's dig it. And let's, and we have the time in the book and the budget to actually show these things at the level that the show is never able to have the time or money to do. Mm -hmm. I felt like with the first issue, if you're going to do the first issue, start where it started, you know? Yeah, exactly. I really love the line, but your power will not protect you today. I love that twist because that's Zordon's catchphrase. May the power protect you. And such a great line. I love that moment. Yeah, it's a little bit of a middle finger line of like, oh, he ain't going to protect you today, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So will we actually see more of uh, Zartus and, and Zofram in the future? Yeah, they're they're staples. Like those two characters are very important to Zordon's sort of maturation and mm-hmm. development, and they're going to sort of be different sides of the coins for him. And yeah, it's, you only get a little bit of them in the first in yeah. the first issue, but they'll be in almost every every issue with him when we go back to the flashbacks. Because I just wanted, it, it, like I said, like I also thought there was something interesting about this idea of like the Altarians feel like this sort of like peacekeeping. Mm-hmm. wise protectorate of the universe, or at least areas of it, right? And I was like, well, they, but they didn't always have Power Rangers. So what were they doing when they didn't have Power Rangers? And that's where the Guardians sort of come into. And so I feel like teamwork is such an important part of the Power Ranger books. It seemed like to just have Zordon Superman in it out there would feel a little odd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So in the issue, Billy is now in a pretty tough position covering for grace he's lying to zordon he's lying to the rest of the team later in this issue aisha and kim actually have a conversation aisha pretty much nails his motivations (laughs) kim says that he's the last person that would lie to them so how much of a powder keg are you building for this to blow up in billy's face I mean, yeah, I definitely think that's, I mean, one of the things I thought was really fun was when we realized that Billy has been working behind the scenes for almost the entire Necessary Evil run. If you think, if you look mm-hmm. into the way that Gogo was thing, he was literally working with Grace for um, for almost, like, I don't even know, like a year, like a while. So he's been doing this for a while. And so I thought there was something interesting about this idea of like, Kim just having such strong faith in him that she completely is oblivious to it. Vaisha, who's newer to the team, right. doesn't have that pre-built relationship with Billy, would see through it and go, wait a minute, this guy's acting a little funny. And that was another thing about Aisha. I always like the idea that Aisha always is sort of, she's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. She's yeah. very aware of the, if you if you notice, I actually realized this the other day, she's the one when, when the uh, Power Rangers, when the Omega Rangers show up in 45, and they're like beaten up. And when after Kaya turned on him, the first person to be like, where's your blue ranger is Aisha. She's the first one to realize that she did. No one else has any idea what's going on. She's like, what happened? And so I like that. So I want to keep that that trend going. If, if you keep an eye on Aisha, she's usually the first person to see something coming. The other thing that I realized is like, one of the things I like to do in the Power Rangers book is take those relationships that you think are rock solid. And Billy and Zordon's relationship through the show is just, Zordon's really reliant on Billy. Right. Whenever they're in problem, hey, we need you to build this thing. You know, he trusts Alpha's helpful, but Billy's the guy that feels like he's the closest to a contemporary that Zordon has. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like there was just something really interesting about this idea of what, what, what would it take to fracture that? 
And what's it like when Zordon, because that's why you have that scene when Zordon makes a joke with Billy about the sandwich. He's the only one he would do that with. And I just felt like when you take that away, that what is what are those two characters, where do they go? And I just thought that was interesting. That was an interesting path to, to explore. That was something um, that I wanted to bring up that I wanted to ask. You know, we usually don't hear Zordon talk about his past like this. And, you know, especially opening up to Billy with this like Evot tree. So was it difficult to find like a new tone in, in writing Zordon for this arc? A little bit. I, I mean, I, I realize this is sort of as I was running with the fourth issue, like I realized that Zordon's kind of the main character. He's sort of the one who's going to change the most because I think you're going to see who he was. Like there's this weird, interesting point where like you, in the flashbacks, you're going to see a very different Zordon. You're going to see a very sort of early Zordon. Now you see a Zordon that has been away from his planet for a very long time. And I think is sort of trying to figure out, he went from obviously a warrior to sort of a custodial mentor and where is his place in Eltar? Where is his place? What do people in Eltar think about him? What, do they, what does he think about Eltar? And I just felt like digging into his relationship with his home planet was something that I really was curious about. And so as you'll go forward, you'll start to see that's where this reminiscence came from. This idea, I think he's finally comfortable with, it's like that thing of like, have you ever had a friend? that you've been friends with forever. And then one day they talk about like, oh yeah, my brother died when I was four. And you're like, what? And they just never talked about it. I've had friends bring that stuff up where they're like, they just have this part of their life they never talked about. And I just thought, I feel like we're at that point in the book where he would do that. And so that's sure. why I think I started to open up a little bit about him. And and, and, you will, and and it felt, obviously, with us touching back with the flashback to Eltar and obviously the last page of the book, we're making that a bigger part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of like your storytelling method that I like that's come back because I've always really enjoyed those flashback moments that was throughout the run of Go Go Power Rangers. So to see that come back as a reader, I really enjoy that. Good, thank you. That was the issue with Necessary Evil. That I, I look, I'm very proud of Necessary Evil, and I'm yeah. very. I, I think that I, there was a lot of moving parts that I was somehow able to make feel like they fell together in a in a cohesive manner. But like, I did feel like because we were dealing with so many characters, mm-hmm. it just we weren't able. We didn't have time to do those anymore. I didn't have time to really use those flashbacks and and I feel like those are such an interesting like I think they can just provide so much insight into a character in such a small amount of time that I felt like bringing those back felt and but in a different way obviously they're not tapping into like each character but I I did feel like that allows us to really dig into the stuff and show contrast and in a way that I really liked about the original books too yeah absolutely so one of the things that is mentioned here is that during the table talk where all the teens are in the youth center, you got Rocky thinking it might be Ernie, but then Adam brings up the point about Draken being in a cell the entire time. It just so happened that the cameras were down and later on in the issue, we'll find out more, but how important was it for you to like kind of nip Draken not being the new green Ranger in the bud or at I least- mean- <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it sort of depends on... I, I Look, I sort of use that table scene as as sort of like me and my friends after we've watched a movie. And it's just like mm-hmm. everybody has their theory or your or TV show and you're halfway through it, you know, where everybody's throwing their, their ideas. And some, there's always that one friend who just has like the craziest idea that... Yeah, and you're just like, that's insane. And that's where Adam is. Adam is, is sort of the 
It could be anybody. It's like, you know, and, and, you know, people throw tweets at me about possible, they read stuff into things, and I'm like, I never in a million years occurred to me that that's what you could want. So I feel like that was, is a little bit of a meta moment of sort of throwing in possibilities, but also sort of setting the ground. So I, I look at that scene and go, you take from it what you want. Like, you sure. can see it as... Oh, yeah, obviously the Lord Draken isn't the, the Green Ranger, but you could also read it and go, maybe Ryan's planting something for where it's going forward. So I, it was in a way, you know, I could, it sort of depends on, and maybe I am, who knows? <laughs> um, maybe it is Ernie. Wouldn't that be amazing? But I feel like that's kind of way I, I sort of put it out there as sort of a potluck and you kind of decide sure. how you want it. Which, whichever point of view you have on it, somebody there is probably voicing your point of view. It was previously established that Rocky and Matt knew each other from just football, and I really enjoyed this football versus martial arts uh, conversation. But really here, this is the first time that officially Matt and Tommy meet, and I had to like go back and like look at some issues because I'm like, wait, is this their like actual formal introduction? And, and it is. So this is a pretty tense moment here. Yeah, I kind of did that on purpose. There was a moment in an earlier, I think it was, I can't, I can't remember what it was. It was an earlier, I think it was in 51 or 52, where I had a moment where they met for the first time. And I was like, no, nah, this isn't, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that yet. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's hold out. Like, let's, because I feel like they have a lot of conflict without, like, if you've ever met any of your of your significant <laughs> other's exes, you just immediately hate them. You're and right. also, you can't help but compare yourself to them, but also, like, there's a lot going on there. So I just felt like if we're going to, and I love the idea that Rocky had zero idea what was going on. He's <laughs> oblivious to all of it. And so, yeah, so definitely this is, like, this is going to be an important moment. I know some people have mixed feelings about Matt, and I, even I have stuff that mm-hmm. I never intended to keep him around in the book this long. I never really did. I, I, I thought when wow. he walked mm-hmm. out on his team that he was gone. But it's just one of those things about writing anything, any long form storytelling, you know, there's things that start to come together that you're like, well, I could do this. And so you start to get to a point where you realize that character brings some interesting point of view or they bring an interesting wrinkle or they bring some interesting backstory. And I feel like that's the fun about comics right now with, with the fact that I've been getting to do it so long is I can, I've had the time to actually create things, leave them be. And then as I go along, go, oh, wait. If I brought that thing back here, that actually gives us a whole new path. I, I wouldn't, I'm sorry I'm being so vague about it, but like no. without exploring stuff. Sure. But like, that's what I like to do both in personal ways. And also I love to do it with villains. Like there's a re- Alpha One still out there. Putty Rita is still out there. The Dark Rangers in essence aren't necessarily gone. They could come back in a new formation. So like, I love that it's a universe. I think Batman does it the best. They just, Arkham Asylum is where he beats them. They go there. And then when you want them again, they're there for you. And I feel like that's fun about comic books, that you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And then before the big ranger fight with the monster comes up, we have this scene with Babu and all the other monsters. Zed's kind of just out for the count right now. And we've seen Babu be shifty before in the comics and questioning Rita. And now he's questioning Zed. And that tension between the evil space aliens, you know, the dumpster monsters, Zed is always willing to forgive them again. We just see them willing to take the role upon themselves. And I just really enjoyed how they were able to, once again, create a monster on their own, disrupt the Rangers' lives for a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny you bring that up because it's one of the things you're going to, I tried to do a little bit in, in GoGo and I'm going to try and do a little bit more now with that is this idea that like Rita kept them around because she had an affection for them. Mm-hmm. Like she, you know, squat with somebody she found as a little baby and Babu she found when he was sort of, you know, like cowering in the corner because he destroyed his entire race. And Goldar was obviously a, a spy in those early days and she mm-hmm. and ultimately became one of her most frustrated but most so loyal. He fights for her because she gives him the opportunity to fight. And then Finster, you know, obviously Finster is an artist who just gets an opportunity to create art while working for her. But she kept them because they're like, I always looked at it was like, they're idiots, but they're my idiots, mm-hmm. right? But I think with Zed, Zed sort of looks at them as like, Zed sort of on the edge of space and he sees them as, is sort of necessary evils and it's I don't mean that but this idea that like <laughs> right. he yeah that was the whole thing of the show right? <laughs> no but this idea that like he needs them to be better and mm-hmm. he doesn't coddle them he's not nice to them but he will try to make them better and i think his tough love approach to stuff is like like if you can do this better you will serve me better and i don't have a problem killing you but i don't want to because i do need you and i feel like that's the thing is like he knows he needs them but what's going to be interesting is obviously coming out of uh, Money More Power number 55, the destruction of the Chaos Crystal is going to change Zed a little bit mm-hmm. and his reliance upon them, that relationship might shift as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, because that's something in the comics, at least, they've bounced back and forth with Zed and in Necessary Evil, we got both in Gogo and Mighty Morphin, he was always trying to push them to do better. And now it seems like they're finally getting a chance, yet they still screw it up. But he's like, hey, that's fine. I still have this power, this new power. And now he can formulate a new plan. Yeah. Speaking of the new monster, we've got Pandemonium. <laughs> My favorite one so far. I'm not going <laughs> to so what what was your thought process like in, in creating uh, Pandemonium? And props to the artist for this issue, Marco Renna, because he did such a great job, first of all, with all the characters in general. It almost reminds me of like Daniele's art. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Pandemonium was one I've been wanting to do for a little while. I just I love the idea of like a Kung Fu Panda style one. But I love that <laughs> image of all of the different spikes that were like had been stabbed into it that were like totem poles that it could just pull out and throw and had helmets on it. And so that was what I drew. I, I wrote it up to him. I was like, can we have a giant panda that has a bunch of spikes on its back that can like fight and be strong? And then he drew it up perfectly. And I was like, yes. And so like, I loved it because it just seemed like a fun. And I usually start with like a name and then I'll try and work my way into it. But yeah, that was, it was one of the few times. Cause like there's been times when like I had an idea for what a monster would be in my head. And then through the course of the translation, it never quite ended up becoming exactly what I wanted or, mm. or just came different. And that, sometimes it's better and worse. Sometimes it's it like they'll draw something and it's 10 times better than what I'd imagined. And other times it's like, oh, I'll have to adjust that a little bit. But Pandemonium was right down the middle. It was exactly how I pictured it. And like, I- I'll not bring Pandemonium back. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's pretty funny because even the Rangers were like throwing out even more names and Aisha's like, just stop giving Zed ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the fun part of the book when you're just like, they fought so many ridiculous monsters. It's like, it's probably like us going like, well, what would you create? Like they do that in their head. I love that they were doing it in real time and like giving up on like, he might be listening. Stop giving him ideas. Yeah. <laughs> 
The Lethal Loris, I think, was one I liked a lot. Le- lethal Loris or Meerkat the Merciless. Meerkat the Merciless, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Penguin outside. Those are all just the big Easter eggs. There's going to be the, the, those, the, the sweetheart killers are going to come down. It's going to be those three creatures. Watch. Yeah. Well, I think I remember at, at some point in, in the comic series, uh, Billy mentioned he was essentially keeping a database of all the oh, monsters yeah. that they were finding. He had a spreadsheet, totally, yeah. in, in thing, all the, and yeah, totally. <laughs> so we see the new Green Ranger make an appearance again, completely just kicks ass. And he's even able to, he or she, I don't know, they're able to be pretty silent the, the whole time, except with, uh, you know, the dragon dagger power up and, and the dragon strike. I mean, obviously we can't hear their voice in, in the comics. So what I wanted to get to was that Tommy does reach out to him because earlier in the issue, Tommy's like, Tommy was really positive out of all of them. He was like, Hey, this is a chance for us to get a new Ranger back on our side. And in this instance, Tommy reaches out and says that he doesn't have to do this alone. How much responsibility does Tommy feel to the green ranger considering those powers were once his i think it's a combination of that i think it's one it's it's that he's trying to be a good leader and being and everybody else when your team is freaking out you've got to be the voice of reason right you got to be the one that's sort of like okay everybody like everything's fine like it's not as bad as you and it's not as good as what you think it's somewhere in the middle i feel like that's part of be it's his evolution as a, of, of being the white of being a leader and sort of realizing that and then i think the other part is he knows what it's like to be the Green Ranger on the outside of the team. And he is, in some ways, I think, and this might be giving way too much, but I think, I think he in some way is sort of projecting mm-hmm. his own, his, himself into that armor in a weird way. I mean, like, that person must be feeling how I felt. And if only they had, you know, if the situation, like, the way he was introduced, obviously the way the Green Ranger was introduced to the original Ra- the Rangers wasn't in the most positive nature. Right. And maybe he's just thinking... You know, if you also look back at, you know, the very first issue of Shattered Grid, I think it was, or or was they talk about how the reason that uh, Lord Draken became Lord Draken in in the Shattered Grid in the Coinless universe was simply because Rita got there first. Rita got to him and said, like, I can help you. I'm with you. I I chose you. I'm, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, be with me. And that's all it took. And I feel like he feels that. It's like, don't let this person go be as open and as honest with people from the beginning. And that is, that's how I was saved. And maybe that's how this person friend or foe should also be. He's learned his lesson from being on the other side of the coin. Exactly. No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) Nailed it. Totally using that in the book, by the way. Thank you. This is just so helpful. (laughs) A bit on the other side of the coin, literally. Get ready. That's just another issue to to touch upon because Draken was that mistake. He was the one that didn't have someone to say, hold up, we can still fix this. And it's almost like trying to not create a new Draken again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you don't know whose face that is. You don't know who is under that mask. And obviously they have a very hostile relationship with the Green Ranger for the most part. Uh, You know, like, so yeah, I think he's just being... I think he's trying to be as good a leader and as empathetic as possible. Now, the big reveal at the end of this issue was for me, I was like, I read this and I was like, what is going on here? 
So it's actually revealed that Candace, Skull's girlfriend, is revealed to be an Altarian. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, you know, I, I remember our, our, the last time that we talked and uh, you definitely said that with the Omegas, there was an, a, ch- a chance to like do things undercover. I had no idea some undercover shenanigans were going to be happening with Mighty Morphin on the other side. So <laughs> I'm just like, wow. What? Yeah. Because Candace first showed up all the way back in Go-Go Power Rangers 24 with that bulk and skull side story. That was the first time that, that she was introduced. And I actually double checked like all the rest of Go-Go for Necessary Evil. And she wasn't in the rest of Go-Go for Necessary Evil, but she was in, in Mighty Morphin for right. Necessary Evil. How long have you been planning this? <laughs> oh, for- uh, I'll be honest, uh, I have known she was an Artarian from the very first moment she was on the book. Uh, if you go back and look, she's got blue hair. If you see her second interaction, she's sitting across from Bulk and Skull, and Bulk, Skull's like, your eyes are so amazing. They're like this incredible colors. I just can't even describe them. And you hear Bulk go, they're blue, dude. They're blue. <laughs> and then you see her again in the... Um, it was issue 44 yeah. and she's being interviewed for Ranger station about the appearance of the Omega Rangers. And she's like, I love color blue. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've been dropping Easter eggs in there a little bit, just cause I feel like when this finally <laughs> happened, people might go back and look and be like, what the hell man? Cause like, <laughs> you know, like that's not the fun, right? You can do this stuff. But like, yeah. I just, there was obviously because we're doing the flashbacks to early Altar and learning about that. And it just felt like we needed a we needed a character mm-hmm. to sort of give the modern day Altar perspective. Mm-hmm. And what better character than someone who obviously isn't in the show forever and has a real a weird emotional relationship with with Skull and Bulk. And also one of the things I thought was really fun is if you go back and see all of her sequences, every scene she's in, she's always talking about the culture of our world. Yes. That's one of the things I wanted to bring up because when I was rereading some stuff, she's interested in art and history and culture and she's, you know, amazed about all these things and you know bulk's kind of like whatever and skull's just there for the ride because he wants to make her happy and i just feel this is going to be so heartbreaking for Skull. oh yeah it's it's gonna go bad (laughs) it's gonna go it's not gonna well i'm I'm not gonna lie there but what i think it'll i'll be honest i have sort of two avenues right now of which i i shouldn't probably say this but like i have two ways it can go and i'm still flipping a coin on which way i want it to go because we talked about it and we'll see. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's going to it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm leaving myself two paths because I want to see how the story breaks down. But yeah, that, I'm glad you noticed that because that was the fun thing when I knew she was going to be an Altarian. I was like, she's on a surveillance mission. Like, literally, that's what she's she's infiltrated our society. And I love the idea that she's literally just swarm like bathing herself in everything that is out there. And so, like, I'm glad that you picked up on that because that was something that's been fun to play with from the beginning. Yeah. And one of the things that I find fascinating about the possibilities going forward is because as a fan of Power Rangers from the beginning, I always assumed that because of the war with Rita and all that stuff that happened 10,000 years ago, I had always assumed that Eltar was just off the table. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be fascinating that through Candace, we have the possibility to see maybe even what modern Eltar is like. Oh, yeah. Yes. 
I'm not going to any more of that. But, right, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. She's a pivotal character, I think, in regards to understanding what Eltar was, what Eltar is, and what Eltar thinks of Zordon and how what Zordon thinks of Eltar. And I think she's going to be that conduit with which we're going to hopefully learn and understand that. And I think that's something that I've always wanted to see. Um, I feel like you, like, I just feel like it's so ripe to yeah. be utilized. And I feel like what's great about it in the comics is we have the the time and we have the budget to be able to do that. So it's not going to, you know, I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like with the TV show, you might, you can do lots of blue headed people. It's a little odd. <laughs> Man, that's right. the blue man group. I, maybe that's who they are the whole time. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> We'll move into Power Rangers number one, but circling back to this Zordon conversation in Power Rangers number one, Jason does make the comment to Zordon that maybe you've been on earth too long. And I feel like that ties in. There's going to be a lot of butting heads about that. I've used the analogy before and I think, it's clear to me. It's, it's I looked at the Omega Rangers, and I've been this on the previous conversation. I apologize for repeating myself, but I look at the Omega Rangers as like they went to college. They went mm-hmm. to college, and now they're back home. And when you do that, I don't know about you, but like I remember coming back from college and meeting a bunch of my friends who had stayed in college and being like, "Wow, we're we're still friends. I still care about them, and we have that. We have years of of, of bonds and experiences." But we just see the world a little bit differently now. We've had different experiences with different people. Yeah. And also my parents. I remember being around my parents and being like, oh, they feel different. We don't see eye to eye on everything anymore. And I love that idea that the Omega Rangers are now without it. The Blue Emissary is gone. They're on their own. They have to decide mm-hmm. what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and what they believe in and what they don't believe in, in a different outside for themselves for the first time. And the idea that the person that they bring along with them is the worst person you could possibly take <laughs> seems like a lot of fun. So, like, the bad influence on the group. I, I always looked at Gogo as my high school days, and I feel like Power Rangers is sort of, for me, is a little bit of, like, my college days. Those days right after you get out of school and you're like, okay, I'm going to go do the thing that I always was going to do, and but i got to find my own path. There's no path anymore. The, the, before, the Blue Emissary gave them a straight path. And it was like, do this, you'll learn, here's your new powers, here's what's going to do, this is how we save the universe. This time, they don't know what they're up against, they don't know how to stop it, they don't know, they are learning on the fly, and they have to do it without someone telling them what to do, and I found like that was the thing that made Omega Ranger, the Omega Ranger book so interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great issue, and one of the things that it opens up with is this training sequence, and training makes a good point that they're in space yeah. more, they don't know what things that they'll encounter and they have to get better at fighting in space. And I just really like this moment with Trini and how she has this philosophy to just free your mind from direction. It feels like early season one Trini with something very smart to say that makes you think. And I just really enjoy that moment for Trini in this. And it even feels like her time when she did the color swap with Jason. Yeah, I I will be completely honest. I stole that whole perspective thing from Ender's Game, which is my favorite book of all time. And I've always thought that was such a a great way of of just this idea that like, it's sort of a metaphor for what the whole book's going to be about in a lot of ways. It's the idea of like, Mm -hmm. we had our perspective on the world. And now that we're outside of the world, we have to change the way we see things. So that's literally mm-hmm. what they like. Well, like down isn't down anymore. We've always been told it's down. Down is down. That's gravity. Down. It's not. Down is up. Left, right. Just depends on the way you see the world. And the only way that we are going to be able to survive and be good in this world is if we actually change the way we see the see things. And so, yes, Trini's the first one mm-hmm. to sort of 
make that. There was a very specific point where I wanted to do that. I, I was like, I think that I was trying to find a thesis for the entire run of this idea. And, it, and it, we did, it got to do it with action and stuff like that. It makes it feel like it's a message to the readers. Like, hey, this is going to be yeah. a different book. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, structurally, it's going to be a different book. I, I think in the past, I've been, mm-hmm. you know, usually four issue arcs and sort of, you know, they kind of work as chapters because that's how trades work and it's easier for the reader. But this time, you know, we changed it up. We're going to do two issue arcs, one issue arcs. Like we're changing up on a lot of stuff. It's all one story, but we're going to play around perspective and bounce around different points of view and which is the same thing. But you know what I mean? It's going to, we're going to change it up a little bit. I wanted it to feel like a different book than, I didn't want it to feel like Mighty Morphin and Power Ranger is just the same book, just told from two different teams. I wanted them to have a different stylistic mm-hmm. feel to them. So you brought back Yale, the space tiger or whatever, and he's actually on the main cover for the issue. So is he essentially just the mascot for the Omegas at this I point? I mean, maybe. <laughs> he might also be way more important, too. So we'll see. Uh, I love Yale. Yale okay, was something cool. that I, I was just like... I love the design. And that was another one of those things. It was one of those things where like the design made me go, I love that way that I love that tiger. I love the way that thing looks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Francisco did such a great job with it. And I was just like, that's super cool. Let's, let's keep that character. And I was like, let's keep him around. Let's keep that character. It's a fun character. And like, you know, he's Scooby-Doo. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Francisco, I love that he's back from Go-Go. It really ties in this whole visual continuity going on with the comics. I'm, I'm just really glad he's back because I, I enjoyed his run in Necessary Evil of Go-Go. So I really enjoyed the artwork in this issue too. Yeah, and I think he's getting, and I, I, this sounds the negative when I say it, I think he's getting better each issue. Like I think if you look mm-hmm. at his early work and look at now, like I think it's that thing when you first start off in the book, you're just trying to make sure you get the helmets right and the bodies right, and you're just trying to make sure that everything stays. And then once you've done it enough times, then you can actually start to like, it's like playing football or something like that. You like you learn the playbook, and then once you know the playbook, now you can improvise a little bit. And I feel like he's at that point now where he's when you see the next two issues. I pitched him. I was like, "Hey, I want the next two issues to feel not like a Power Ranger book. I want them to feel like a horror movie." And he was like, yeah. "Okay, I got gotcha. you." And he started drawing it, and I I was shocked at how different the vibe felt and how great he used depth of field and lighting and i was just like it's awesome i was so happy with what he did so i agree i think he's found his sweet spot and now now he gets to play now he can actually try some stuff earlier you said that you know it felt like the omegas were coming home from college that's definitely the feeling in this issue like they're back everyone thinks that they're back from switzerland (laughs) for a bit and we just get some great conversations and reunion moments i especially loved when ernie was like oh look it's the power rangers no i'm kidding and for a moment i'm like whoa wait a minute (laughs) yeah that was the intention i was like i felt like that was a joke that could just totally go wrong you're like oh yeah yeah (laughs) but we get this scene with the omegas and the rangers having this discussion in the command center they approach draken and this is the first time that tommy and draken have spoken in this issue and a couple issues ago we had that reaction from tommy like if he actually talked to draken he wouldn't even know what he would do. So just from this moment, what's that level of restraint that Tommy is holding back right now? It's interesting because if you go back and read the last time he actually encountered Draken was in the end of the finale shot of great when he reached his hand out and right. said, you don't have to do this alone. And Draken was like, you know, 
gave him the high, the high, yeah. the, the high hard one. And it was just like, I'm not interested. And I feel like that was the, that was his olive branch. And then you watch all of Necessary Evil and you, and you see the aftermath of the destruction that Shadow Grid created. Kaya lost her family because of it. Mm-hmm. He's living in the shadow of Draken for so long and all the danger. And I think it's, I think there's this thing where he literally looked at everything and was like, people don't trust me anymore because of this other guy. And I think his resentment of that person maybe built a little bit as it went along. Because it's just sort of like, imagine you had a twin brother, and then every single person around you was like, dude, your twin brother's a jerk, so I can't trust you. And it's like, dude, I did nothing wrong. All I do is save the day. All I do is be the best guy ever. And you just all hate me because of that. And I feel like he sees that this guy has just worn away my credibility. And also is sort of this dark mirror of like, this is, could be me. And I, this guy, he did, he's me. I could, I could take that step at any yeah. point. Who's to say I wouldn't take that step tomorrow or the next day or the next day? And so I feel like that's his frustration with him. That's why he doesn't want to interact with him. That's why he doesn't trust him. It's just this sort of concept of like he's that shadow over the, over his, on his shoulder that he's worried about. And that's where, that's how I saw it. That's why he doesn't, like, when he doesn't want to speak to him. The minute he goes in there and everybody's like, well, this guy might have the answer. He's like, you can't trust him. You can't be around. Like, he's, he's seeing a, a window into himself, and I just don't think he likes that. We'll, we'll see. That, I mean, they, they, have, they have a lot of issues still to work out. Yeah, and there's another important conversation with Tommy and Trini, and it's almost like, you know, the needs of the many versus the one in Star Trek. Tommy's like, hey, we can save a whole universe here. And Trini's like, well, we can actually do that if we take him with us. So I love the conflict that's coming up again. It just seems like more conflict between the Omegas and and the Rangers. Yeah, I think they just starting. They're just starting to see. This is that thing where Earth is very lucky that it has. I think Trini says it. Like, I don't know if it's still in that draft or not, but she says there are millions of planets out there, and not all of them are lucky enough to have Power Rangers. Yeah, and it's like that. It's the same thing. Like the Power Rangers have been on planet Earth. They, it's like their friends, their Earth. This is what's important. It's about saving this town. That's our job. And the Omega Rangers are like. Yeah, man, but there's like a thousand other planets out there and no one's protecting them. We just saw. Wouldn't it have been helpful if the Power Rangers had been on um, Gorvinos 3? If that place had had Power Rangers, they might still be alive. And I feel like that's part of her thing. She's looking at this and saying, we have greater responsibilities outside of just our own friends and family. Like, there's that. That's the difference, right? It's like there are people who say they, they protect the things that they care about. And then there's other people who go out there. And they go and protect people who need help, who aren't people they know. And those are the two different... And Trini, I always feel like, is really, that lines up with her environmentalism. She is trying to save the world, to, not just for herself and her friends, but for everyone. And so yeah. she's realizing that there are people out there that need them, and that therefore, it, yes, is it dangerous to potentially take Draken with you? Yeah, but also doing nothing is just as dangerous. So I think she's, I think that's what they're, you're seeing them all sort of battle that point of view. I think that's the thing that I really like with the Zach Ernie conversation with like Zach is, I love how they're like, what's it like being in a peace conference? And you realize that being the Omega Rangers is kind of like being in a peace conference. It's like you're experiencing, if you've ever gone to like, when I I went to Boy State when I was a little kid and I went, Mm -hmm. when I, and I went there and I met all these people from all over the state that I never met. And I remember it just opened up my perspective on all these different, different types of people. And that's what being an Omega, that's what college is. It's going and meeting people who come from all over the world. And it makes you realize that the world's bigger than your backyard. And I feel like we're just doing that from, instead of small town to world, we're doing world to universe. Yeah. 
Speaking of that, you know, Ernie and, and Zach conversation, there's a line, it's like, it feels like the world could end at any moment. Wow, did that hit hard for me? Because that's, <laughs> I mean, that's what it feels like today. Yeah. Just in our current current times. Yeah. I mean, literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when is this coming out? It's coming out on the 14th, okay. so in a couple weeks. So, but, we'll, yeah. so we'll have found out if the world ended by then, so that'll be nice. <laughs> I like that it was a reflection, kind of like pretty much what we're all thinking, you know, in the real world right now. So yeah. I think that's one of the things that's so therapeutic about writing sometimes is, is it can give you an opportunity to voice things that you didn't even know you were dealing with. And like, I've realized just in writing these books, like that one of the things that I realized is like, it sounds so bad to say this, but like, it feels like every issue, every run we do is the end of the world, right? Giant monster to yeah. destroy the city. And then they beat it. And then they have to face another one down the line. I feel like that's given me a little bit of hope in regards to like, things might not turn out the way we, that some people want in the next few days of our current world. But that doesn't mean that it's over. It either means that you have to pick up again, or here's the thing, even if you win, you're going to have to fight something else down the line. So it's just that idea of always seeing the world in front of you and realizing that no matter what happens, you have to get up and just do your best the next day. And so that's given me, in writing the book, it's given me that perspective, and it's a nice reminder. Yeah. I absolutely love the moment between Jason and Rocky in this issue. I've always felt like this is a conversation that should have been between those characters in the show and it just never happened. So I'm really glad that it happened here. Oh, thank you. It was some of my favorite stuff in, in Necessary Evil was this conversation between Trini and Aisha and Adam and uh, Zach. And I really love those. And I was like, I want to get one in here between Jason and Rocky. And I was on the Comic-Con panel that we did this year, and Steve mm -hmm. Cardenas was on there, and he was telling us about, I keep calling him Steve DeSanto, which is not <laughs> a great thing to do, because I'm a weird mix-up dude, uh, yeah. but we, he was telling us about what it was like when he got cast on the show, and he was telling us about all the stuff, and I was like, man, it was fascinating, so I went on his podcast with him, and we started talking, and I asked him what it was like when he took over. And he was like, you know, it was weird because I didn't know quite what my, when we got cast, I didn't know what my position was going to be. And I was like, oh, I'm the Red Ranger. So I watched the show and I'm like, I'm the leader of the team. And then we got the scripts and the stuff. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not the leader. And I always thought, what that must have been a really weird thing to do. So I felt like, and also because of the, the nature of the way that the show, with the replacements, um, mm -hmm. they, you, you could never have a scene between them. And I was like, well, we got to do this. And I just thought that, you know, Rocky opening up to him being like, every other Red Ranger has been the leader except me. Yep. That seems weird. Are you okay with that? And that the idea that Jason would be the one that'd be like, dude. Like, also, I love that idea that he, the line that I thought was really fun for Jason was like, never let a color define you, which can mean yeah. a lot of things. But also the fact that Jason has been, is going to ultimately end up being not just the Red Ranger. He's going to be other yep. colors. And I felt like that, it was sort of prophetic for him to say that. And, and I thought that was, it was just a nice, it tied them all up in an interesting little bow. So I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reassuring things that Jason said to Rocky is that I'm out there. You're here and you're protecting my family too. You're protecting everyone else. And speaking of Jason's family, there's a line here that said, we did go to Ernie's instead of going to see our parents, like what they consider home. But Jason's dad was just a huge side plot for Necessary Evil. Any chance we'll see that relationship and that story pick up again? Um, maybe. Just to say, I think I, I ended it where I wanted to end it. Okay. With him saying that hard, don't let my condition stop you from being the man you're supposed to be. Right. 
but not in like a nice way, but more like, don't like, don't use me as an excuse kid. And, you know, but that's also the nicest thing he's probably ever said to his son. Um, and so I felt like that was him sort of passing the baton on and saying, you know, go be the man you're supposed to be. Don't worry about me. But that being said, that doesn't mean that we won't, if I find a line that, or find a, a runner down the middle, like, you know, like mm-hmm. as writing the book, you always stumble upon things you didn't expect to do. And I, that doesn't mean sure. I, they, they can have whole new issues and whole new relationships. And I also don't know what's going to happen to his dad. If, mm-hmm. you know, there's something I, I, I've experienced um, this with some friends. I had a high school friend of mine uh, pass away when I was at college and it was like the week of finals. And, um, and I could not go to his funeral because I was literally, I was in the middle of finals. I didn't have a way to do that. And so who's, you know, the, the Omega Rangers are out there saving the universe. What happens when somebody in your family is sick or dies right. and you can't be there at the end? Does that, what does that do to you? And so like, mm-hmm. I think that's a definitely something that I wouldn't be opposed to potentially sure. thing doing. So like, yeah, that's, you know, you might've just given me a storyline. So thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the final third of this issue is the Omega Rangers breaking Draken out of the command center. And a bit earlier during that conversation between Jason and Rocky, Jason even says, I might not be the best leader. I mean, we lost our mentor. We lost all of this. And you can feel it because it's so painful because Zordon tells Alpha, uh, maybe I was too harsh on the Omega Rangers. And then they break Draken out and this hugely emotional, like probably the most angry we've ever seen Zordon energy, just crackling off of him. He's like, I will do whatever it takes to stop you. What a powerful ending that kind of launches this whole thing. Yeah, I, I started when I wrote it, I remember I pitched the scene as like the theme where your dad gets mad at you and grounds you. And then realizes he later on that maybe he was too hard on you, but comes up to tell you that he was wrong, but you snuck out in the time that (laughs) that's what I thought that scene was. It was just very much this idea of like, I like that moment when he tells them Draken's the closest I ever came to losing. And I'm not going to, and I made Tommy a promise and I'm thinking, I'm not going to let this guy out. And it's that thing of them saying like, but yeah, you're doing it just to protect your little home. If we take him out there, it's also this trust thing, right? Of like, we're not going to let him go. Right. Like, we got him, man. We can do this. Like, trust us to do this. And he's still treating them like they are children and they have to do what he says. And yeah. they're saying, that's not necessarily what we feel. And so it, it was, I liked that concept of if you're going to try and flex your potential, if you're going to tell your parents, hey, it's time you started to stop treating me like a kid and start treating me like an adult. Sometimes that comes when you have to do something that you don't necessarily want to do. And the idea of going up and taking Draken when you probably shouldn't and hurting Alpha and lying to Zordon and your friends to do this, is it the right answer? We'll find out. But I felt like mm-hmm. it was the thing that was like, if you're going to, if someone has to prove something, it should come with consequences and the consequences yeah. across the board. And so, yeah, I really like that moment with, with Zordon basically saying like, I will do everything I can to stop. I, I, you do not under, don't underestimate the power that I wield. And we will yeah. see that going forward. We will see that he is not lying. He is not lying. Yeah. And it wasn't like Jason made this decision lightly either. I mean, you, you can see it on his face in that last panel where he's kind of like looking over his shoulder, like, 
God, what have I done? Yeah, absolutely. And even, and I think what I love about it too is like you see how hard he's being on Draken too. He's got the blade at his throat, and he's oh, just yeah. like, I because he knows what he's doing is bad. He's like, I am not going to screw this up. Um, <laughs> so of course he's going to screw this up. But like that's that's what I liked about it was this idea that like everybody else is like, you are enjoying this almost like you are outright defying us. And he's like, I'm doing the best I can to prove you that I'm not. I swear we'll bring him back when we're done. Like I'm doing everything. You just got to trust me. And Zordon's like, I can't trust you like that because that's the path they're on right now. And so that's yeah. the big, that's the that's the biggest divide in the series. And also, it's that thing of like now they can't go home again. You know what I mean? Now they are right. they are pot committed. So they, not only were they alone before, now they're really alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we uh, we don't have much time left. I just wanted to say I think this is a great launch, a great starting point for these new stories. So just congrats to you for hopefully a successful relaunch. <laughs> Thanks, man. We'll see. I'm really excited about it. It was really fun to kind of get to go back to a little bit more of the go-go style that I wanted. But, you know, it still got yeah. the bigger scope. And I felt like it was a nice blend of the two, or at least it was what I would hope that I can blend going forward is... A little bit of character, a little bit more time, you know, those in-between moments, which I really enjoy, and show some of the stuff that we wanted from the show that never got a chance, like those conversations. And I'm going to keep trying to layer that stuff in the book. And also, with you know, with Mighty Morphin and then with Power Rangers, I'm going to try and use that to, like, there's a lot of interesting characters popping up. I'm writing them right now. Like, I just, like, I never nice. in a million years thought I would get to see these parts of the Power Ranger universe interact with people from mighty morphin in a fun way and so like i'm i'm using i'm trying to it's a little bit like the mandalorian like that's the idea it's like we're gonna start seeing that window so that's in the next issue uh <laughs> 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 i hope i didn't spoil share there i apologize <laughs> cut that out or bleep what i said yeah right 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 <laughs> yeah but now I feel like these two issues, it really sets the stage going forward. And as a reader, as someone who like really enjoys the, the comics, I can't wait for Power Rangers number two just to see where the Omegas go next. If that's going to hit any like huge continuity, like <laughs> buns or, you know, because it, it is the Power Rangers universe is such a big place. And I'm finally glad that we're going to have the chance to explore more of that going forward. Yeah, maybe not two. Uh, two might be a little more uh, fun, uh, but you'll definitely see something okay. coming up pretty soon. Yeah, don't don't give up yet. But like, uh, but you'll see. It yeah. I promise they're coming up soon. But yeah, it's going to be fun to it's fun to uh, it's a little hard. I'm going to be honest. I've. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to make sure that I'm, I'm, it's easy when you're just balancing Mighty Morphin and then your own stuff. But now you're balancing stuff from other series and and stuff like that and trying to figure out a way that it's not just a fan service moment of them just showing up and sure. grabbing a beer or whatever. You know, it's just like it's trying to make it all additive. And uh, it's fun. It's, it's a it's a challenging it's challenging, but it's really fun. And I hope people like it. Awesome. Well, Ryan, I just want to thank you uh, once again for coming on to the show. Definitely looking forward to future issues of this. So appreciate it. Thank you, man. It's always a pleasure. You've been listening to the Ranger command power hour only on the four eyed radio network. You can catch a new episode every other Saturday. Find us on the Morphin grid at www.rangercommand.com. Follow us on Twitter at Ranger Command PH. Like us on Facebook and Instagram at Ranger Command Power Hour. Ranger Command is also on Patreon. Become a patron by pledging as much or as little as you like every month and receive cool perks. 
By pledging, you are helping us make our show even better. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more. Thanks for listening.